Hello, welcome to another episode of Ask a Jew, where a secular, sinful Israeli speaks to her religious, holy friend. We are the World Cup of Jewish podcasts. Uh, Dibs on America, <laughs> by the way. Uh, you can yeah, be like, I mean, obviously, you can be like no, Senegal. Who? I don't know. No, some, I don't. You can be I want to be a good. Are they good? No, I'm not going to be Iran. Iran. Why? They're no. religious. Are they You're good? religious. Uh, <laughs> that is so offensive. <laughs> That's the most <laughs> offensive thing you've ever said to me. Wow. And that's and there yeah, and there's a lot a lot to choose from too. Is Israel <laughs> in you, the World Cup? I don't I'm choosing like not to pay attention. So I don't know. Is Israel in? No. Um Israel no. is not good at sports, surprisingly. Uh right. but Iran today, <laughs> Iran played um England today, and I only know this because I was hanging out with my twelve year old nephew. Um, but they yeah. didn't sing the national anthem, which I thought was like pretty dope. The players, Ooh, the like, player, the Iranian. Oh, yeah. good for them. They didn't wow. sing the national anthem. Well, yeah. They're probably um, going to be killed now. And, so that's too bad. Yeah. I was going to say, hopefully they win and they're not like executed. Remember, remember when um, <sighs> like Uday and Kusai, the Saddam Hussein's uh, sons, yeah, they sons. used to execute um, like athletes that didn't win. They were the worst. Stuff. They were like they were the two worst. of the worst humans. And they weren't even like attractive. They were they were like yeah. ugly, like, you know. I think it's I mean, really was... weird that the World Cup is in in uh, Qatar. I really think Qatar, it's Qatar, yeah. Like that's yeah. It's such a bad country. I don't get it. it and is, like, why don't we see bad. BDS movements against Qatar? Okay, sorry, I'm not gonna get political two seconds into the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but it really but, annoys but, me. But to add, you know, to one up your politicalness. Um, apparently all the Israeli media there, cause there, there's, um, first of all, Israelis were allowed to go, which is pretty, pretty great, um, that they got to that agreement mm-hmm. and an Israeli airline took them there. So that's, that's pretty monumental in the region, but all the Israeli media are getting heckled. Like every time they do like a stand up there, they get like people <sighs> yelling at them, like, you know, free Palestine, oh kill the God. Jews, blah, blah, blah. So it's been very welcoming, <laughs> very welcoming that's environment. Nice. That's what happens when you don't yeah. let people drink. Seriously, you don't let people drink, uh, and they just watch sports. I mean, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine that the soccer fans are happy about the drinking thing. I mean, I don't understand that. They, I think of yeah. soccer fans as being drunk all the time. I'm at sure least based find, on the few that I know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. sure. They I find, really don't care uh, about that. They find a way around it, but anyway, um, we are very international, anyway, very global. Ha- I know we haven't spoken I'm, in a while. People have been clamoring for a new episode. Um, the I people you're in Israel. have been. How are you? Yeah, stop sending us uh, hate mail and death threats. <laughs> um, I, I, I wish we were important enough for death threats. We haven't gotten any yet. Um, no, thank God. I did How's have somebody Israel? email me. I, I, it's great. I did have somebody email me the other day. I, I forgot to tell you this. That he was like, is like, oh, it's there, there's no place like home so nice you're having a, a great time there stay there and i couldn't tell if it was like a like a stay there because you look so happy or stay there like get out of our country but i couldn't tell yeah it was like an anonymous email so <laughs> maybe it wasn't well if it was really someone who no if it was really someone who like hates you because you're jewish or israeli they wouldn't want you to stay mm-hmm. in israel they'd be like 
oh, it looks, there's no place I can go back to Poland. That would have been. Go back to Poland. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been well, the ending. Not stay there. Give, give, you give me colonizer. back my, uh, give, give my, me back my uh, grandfather's yeah, uh, factory. And, uh, and I'll go back to Poland. Um, you know what? But, Someone was telling me this week. Mm-hmm. Wait, I need to tell you this really quick story. This woman in our community here in Long Beach, who's daughter of Holocaust survivors, was just telling me that she was in Israel. Oh, I have a Holocaust survivor story. Mm-hmm. She was just in Israel a few weeks ago, and she got an email that, um, like, saying how second generation survivors are now like um, uh, they they're approved for reparations from the German government, and she has to call this number, blah blah blah. So she calls right. And mm-hmm. it turns out to be this massive scam, obviously, because there's no <gasps> reparations for second gen. And she didn't realize until the woman said to her, like, you need to give us power of attorney in order to get it. And then she was like, wait what? a second, why do you need power of attorney? So, like, they're doing scams on second generation Holocaust survivors um, wow. and telling them that they're, they're um, you know, they're eligible for all this money and then screwing them out of it. So just if you Talk have anybody about, like, in your family. Bad karma. Don't. for life i know i know um, seriously like let's seriously, see how we can I, I do screw holocaust survivors out of money Ugh, um, terrible. but we I went know. i was I, i've been in israel for a while um i had a, a delegation here um some people know um i think um it, it's it's been um on the fifth column so i got to spend time with matt <laughs> yeah, Welsh, had a and famous delegation yeah. i had a famous delegation of famous people um, no, yeah. but it was, it was really, really fun. And we did some wonderful things, but one of the things we went, we did is we went to Yad Vashem to the, the Holocaust museum, uh, which is really like, honestly, it, it's, it's that Holocaust museum is going to ruin all Holocaust museums for you. Cause it's just so damn good. It's, if you well, haven't it's been to more, Yad Vashem, it's a it's, memorial. I say it's a memorial. It's, it's less, I, I don't know. It's not a museum. It's, it's a memorial. Well, you're, you're a Holocaust museum snob. Um, I am. but I, yeah, I love it. Every time I go there, I get like, <laughs> I, I forget how, like what a punch in the gut it is. Um, yeah. but anyway, we met a Holocaust survivor there, which is really, she was really, really nice. She was so sweet. She was like, um, maybe we'll have her on because she told us, she's like, I do zooms. I do Microsoft teams. <laughs> she was like very tech Aww. savvy. Um, so but she is the one and we'll include this in the show notes. If I remember, she is the one who, when Biden visited Israel a few months ago, remember he? There were two Holocaust survivors, and he got up. Like they were, they were about yes, to get yes. up, and he told them to sit down. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And he like knelt to them. Um. So she was one of those, and she was telling us Aww. that story, and it was really sweet. And it was also really funny because she's like, "And President Biden came, and you know, he told us to get sit down, and then he kneeled towards us, and we were talking, and then he kissed me." <laughs> it Aww. sounded like a, <laughs> but so she was cute. and she said she said i've never had fun at yad vashem before and this was like really, really oh my fun god day. yeah well happy was, birthday to sweet. our president by the way he turned 80 this week um did you Mazel know that doesn't look yeah. a day over 79 <laughs> really? um no he looks like 80. he does look good least. physically he looks good for does for he 80. no yeah he slept along so. i think he slept along mm-hmm. I don't know. Why would he want uh, to run birthday. again? I cannot. Yeah. Happy birthday. We just had midterm elections. Democracy. That's what he, why he wants to run again. <laughs> um, wait, but there was something else that was timely. You said happy birthday um, to Biden. Oh, it's like our, it's our anniversary. Oh yeah. It's our, 
We're the worst. You can't make this stuff up. Yeah, we are the worst. If we were married, we would, this marriage wouldn't last. Um, yeah, this is this is about a year since our very first episode. Can you tell our listeners how our li- how your life has changed? Oh my god, it's hard to walk in the streets. What's it it's like? Stressful. Yeah, what's it like not it's to be able to walk famous. down the street? It's so hard. It's really hard. What do you no, What do you kidding. do with it's, all these men who want to like touch you and take photos with you and you can't like touch them? Yeah, sure. Um, it has been. This is our forty forty first episode. Um, and we I'm surprised we did forty in one year. That's pretty impressive considering we're, we're pretty good. How, we're pretty how aside from the last few so, weeks we've been slacking. Yeah, yeah. But we're so yeah. Anyway, we're not professional. Um, but it's been great. I love yourself. doing it. And um, do you mm-hmm. like? Are you still enjoying doing it? Like, I think um, we'll just you know, do it until we magic, don't like it anymore. The magic is gone. I have to say, this is just we're just in it for the kids <laughs> at this point. Just in it for Mickey, our sound guy. He wouldn't have anything <laughs> yeah, to do. Exactly. Um, I love it. I learned a lot about myself. I learned that I'd like there's um, a part of me that just like loves the sound of my voice and like laughs at my own jokes, which right. is, is a pretty interesting thing to discover at 40 that you're like, Oh my God, I'm like hilarious. That's so funny. <laughs> but, you are funny. Though. Um, yeah. But usually I don't think I'm funny, but you know, you get into that mindset. If, if, if any of our listeners have ever done a podcast or, or any type of public thing, it's like your alter ego, yeah. ego almost. Um, so you put on like, yeah, I mean, I don't think we we put, but we kind of like you know we we accentuate our 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 personalities on this podcast. Um, yeah, I feel so, like sometimes I hold back, so I don't know. I don't. It oh, depends. Yeah. It depends on the we topic, do, I guess. I I do think. I about always thought what I'm that if we ever do if we ever do a thing something for subscribers only, then what we would yeah. the first thing we would include would be our pre chat because I feel like <laughs> no, the, but the ten fifteen <laughs> minutes before we start recording. With us, Kyla uh, and I, and our sound guy Mickey, is when we're also catching up, and we and usually the 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 the, the sentence. Oh, let me tell you this now because I can't say this on the podcast. That usually comes up <laughs> several exactly. times. Exactly, <laughs> and we we gossip. We gossip we about other people as well. Um, I know, but did I, don't I ever know. tell yeah, you the fun? Did I ever tell you the um, thing about gossip? Um. Ugh, now, now it's no. Blank. Please don't tell me about Lashona. I think I said it. Don't tell me about that. No, I do love gossiping, but um, the thing about a pillow, a feather pillow, like when you open up a feather pillow and the feathers fly away, you can never get them all back in the pillow. That's what um, that's what mm, gossip is like. Once you say yeah. it, you can never get it all back. Yeah, but you can if you try really hard and you have like a Dyson, you can get them back in the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but it's true but you know that, you know no. so strategic strategic gossip strategically gossip like i yeah, we gossiped gossip. before we spoke about one coleman hughes and our gossip was how yes. much we love him we're like coleman That's hughes is true. great so you know That's if true. somebody comes coleman. up if somebody says like oh i just heard you l talk about you and she said you were great that's that's wonderful. You're I not even, according nice to the Torah, things. you're not even, no, even according to the Torah, not even supposed to talk about someone else in a nice way. Like what? you're just not supposed to talk about other people. Then yeah. what am I supposed to do with my time? <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I supposed to Such read a, a book? Question. I don't exactly. get it. I don't get it. I don't know. Uh, but, but it um, is, it yeah, is no. our, 
our anniversary. So it, it's been awesome. I mean, I, I love doing this. I, uh, I love the fact that we can just email people that we like to talk to and be like, can you come on our podcast? Yeah. Um, and we have some really cool yeah. guests coming up. So stay tuned. Yes, We're really we do. Excited. We do. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have some very exciting guests. Also, if you didn't listen to our our last episode with um, the German Israeli dominatrix, um, oh, that was yes. that was quite a ride. That was really yes, really fun. Yes, um, people like her. And I love people really like. Her. I love when people email us uh, and ask us questions. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's nice. Especially my favorite. You know, I, I've said this before. I'm not ashamed of saying it. I I hold our non Jewish listeners to a much you know, a much higher regard. Um, like the Jewish listeners are like, yeah, okay, whatever. Of course, this is a Jewish podcast. But non-Jewish listeners, they're like my VIPs. So mm, I, when I when it. we get, get uh, emails from them asking us about things, um, it's, you know. I do want to answer more questions fun. about Judaism now that you're saying it. I feel like in the beginning we were doing more of that and now I actually just, like, have talk one, about but our, I need to find it. I have one that I, oh, you do. That I mentioned. We should get back to that. But yeah. I have a question uh, but, for you. So if you want to, by the way, if you want to email us, you can email us at askajewpod yes, please at do. gmail.com. Please do. Please, please do. do. Actually, it's interesting. Uh, this is not what I was going to ask you, but I, because I can't think in a straight line today, but um, I'm teaching a class to my students at Hillel and it's like a curriculum that you follow, you know, it's like an eight week curriculum anyway, about Judaism. And I said to them last week, I'm like, you know what, write, take a piece of paper and I want you to write down three questions that you have about Judaism. Cause I realized like, just cause the curriculum says that this is what we should teach does not mean that the students are interested in any of those topics. And so it was really interesting to read their questions. And I just sat and like answered the first few, you know, and the next week I'll do a few more and I'll do a few more, but it was so what much was better like a surprising than just question. Um, you know, a lot of them were just like typical questions like, where is God in tragedy? And why do Orthodox women cover their hair? And, you know, where like, was what, God in asked, the Holocaust? Oh, my God. Are you seriously asking me that right now in the middle of our podcast? Yeah. That's do you know like that? Do you know whole... that joke? Do you know? Do you know that joke? I, I'm probably going to butcher yeah. it. But um, but the joke is like, you know, um, somebody comes up to heaven and he tells God a joke about the Holocaust. And God's like, I don't get it. And the guy's like, "Oh, you had to be there." Yeah, <laughs> <I forgot. laughs> you're you're allowed to laugh at that hilarious joke. Laugh. <laughs> if if my it's mother, good, it's, if it's my mother could laugh because it's, I know, if my mother could I laugh know. at a joke that Michael Moynihan told her about the Holocaust, you can laugh he about did. a joke about God. Was <laughs> yes. it a good one? Was it a good one? It, it it was a good one, and it was it was only after we had told several. So he didn't like he didn't like walk in oh, okay, there fine. and like, hey, nice to meet you. Let me tell you, you heard the guy <laughs> in Auschwitz that went to the oven. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! The um yeah. So no, the, it was like questions like that. You know, someone asked a question. One of the students, which you know, like I wouldn't even think of addressing this because it's so like it seems so clear to me, but one of the students wrote, what's the difference between Judaism and Christianity? And I'm like, Oh, mm. you know, like actually I'm sure a lot of young Jews don't necessarily know the answer to that. So I spent better a food time talking about that, but mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. But I mean, I was just talking about the Holocaust for a second since we never do. Um, ding, ding, I was ding, at a ding. meeting yesterday. I know I was in a meeting yesterday for eight hours. I'm not exaggerating. It started at eight 30 in the morning. Personal and, went to Holocaust? and it was, <laughs> and it was about like the future of 
Jewish community here, whatever, it was like a strategic planning committee. And you get a lot of Jews in the room and you start talking about the future. And it's just like inevitable that somebody is going to be like, well, you know, as the daughter of Holocaust survivors or whatever, oh you know? So up. I had written on a, on a, on a post-it note, I had written these words exactly. I had written, my grandmother did not survive Auschwitz so that we should be in this situation. Okay. But I was like, I'm not going to share it because that's obnoxious and not like, doesn't move the conversation forward in any way. Right. Well, as soon as the woman said that, and I was like disagreeing with her comment, but I wanted to like prove that I, you know, also come from the Holocaust. <laughs> so I like hold up my, I like watch myself from outside of my body doing this, right? I hold up my post-it note and I'm like, you see what I wrote here? I wrote here as the grand, my grandmother did not survive Auschwitz so that we should be in this situation. And I'm just like, why, Hylia? Why? Why do you always have to go there? What's wrong with it's you? Holocaust I need a pill. It's Holocaust clout. You're you're Holocaust dropping is what you are. It's, it's you're, horrible. You're, you're like name you're dropping so right. the Holocaust. It's privilege. And, and it's somebody my Holocaust will, privilege. Oh, you know, and it, it's also like, have you noticed that? My, my, have you noticed that there's also like, there's like hierarchy because like you were in the Holocaust, but were you in a camp or were you just oh, in a ghetto? Oh, for sure. No, like, for and sure. if you're in for Auschwitz, sure. you're, that's know. like the highest. You know, yeah. If you're yeah, it doesn't sound the same. My grandmother was in. I know, like my grandmother was in Maidanic. Yeah. Well, oh, actually, my please, grandmother Maidonic. was in Bergen-Belsen. <laughs> mm. This is a the thing we, is, we are horrible. The problem with, we are horrible. The problem with my family, a lot of my family is in Auschwitz, but they, but none. <laughs> I'm sorry. But the ones that went to Auschwitz didn't come back. So I can't like, I can't point to them right. and be like my grandmother. See, my know. grandmother. My grandmother did go to Auschwitz and did come back, but most of her family didn't. She was I also in Bergen-Belsen. And came back in high school. <laughs> um, that's not the same. Guys, we're allowed Jeez. to make fun of this, okay? This Jeez. is our... These are our people. We no. are allowed to make fun you're of it. You're not allowed another, to laugh. If you laugh at this, you're anti-Semitic, by the way. I know. I'm, you're I'm just another a Kyrie. Kyrie. Oh, you want to hear something? Kanye. You want to hear something interesting about Kyrie and uh, Chappelle and all that? So I was uh, I was pretty busy with this delegation, and I heard um, the Chappelle thing dropped, the Chappelle SNL monologue, and I didn't feel like listening to it. And I was reading some tweets about it, and then something magical happened. It, it just went away. I, I didn't <laughs> have to have an opinion about it, and I didn't have to like wade into the discussion. I didn't I, I didn't watch the the monologue. I'm not That's... going to. I'm actually not going. It, it was so wonderfully freeing to be like, you know what? I'm sitting this one out. I'm not going to so have funny. an opinion about yeah. this. Oh, it's exhausting with the whole. Yeah, but I, I know I actually it's... can't. I had like a little epiphany when I was in when, you know, doing this thing in Israel. It's just like everybody is is so up in arms because we all think we're like on the verge of ex it being extinct. Yeah. So even right. like, you know, right. people talk a lot about like trans people being overly sensitive but you know in a way if you think that you're like about to be wiped up the right. face of the map right. then you're a lot more up in arms um well so, jews always live on the, on the precipice of an existential uh crisis i mean that's that's yeah the but that's why we're so people. dope because we don't have the luxury of no really because we, yeah, we can't like sit back and relax we don't chill we don't chill yeah. Um, but it, it's uh, uh I'm tired of the whole conversation. I mean, I hate to say it. I know it's it's rude cuz 
people suffer over anti-Semitism every day, but I'm kind of tired of the whole Kanye blah, blah, blah conversation. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. He lost his job. You know, he lost, he lost Adidas. He lost a bunch of stuff. Um, I don't know if it helps. I hate, hate, hate. I'm sorry to say this, but I hate all of those. Someone caught, I forgot what our friends called it. The, um, uh, you know, the videos they make with the apology, What's it called when someone's kidnapped and they like... Oh, the hostage videos? Yeah, hostage videos. Yeah, like yeah exactly. Note. Like the yeah, Kyrie... Yeah. yeah, it's like the Kyrie hostage video of him saying like how much he loves the juice, you know, and how much he believes well, what do in the think, Holocaust. Like, I don't care. Speaking of apologies, like, what do you think about the ADL? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What, oh, that's <laughs> controversial. We just made... We just, you want me to get in trouble right about, now? We just spoke about which which, I know. which Holocaust camps are, are better than others. Um, so the reason that I I hesitate to say anything is because I understand. I mean, the ADL is a very very important uh, anti defamation league for for the our boy listeners, league, yeah. um, which was started to combat anti semitism and to really make sure that the Jewish community in America was safe, which I really appreciate and I really love what they do in general and um. I do worry that they've gone off the rails a little bit. Mission um, creep recently, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I worry that I, I don't want to say too much, but I, um, I, I worry about it. That's all. You, you don't want to say too much because you're worried they're going to come after you, like they did Kanye. No, it's just because you know when you <laughs> love something and you like no, like I, I yeah. really respect them and I respect a lot of people that work there and I respect their mission, but. I like this weekend when I saw, and this is not a political thing at all, but like I saw um, Jonathan Greenblatt, who's the head of the ADLs. Is that his name? Yeah. Um, I -hmm. saw his comment about bringing Trump back to Twitter. And it's just like, why are you commenting on that? Like you, that's not our mission. Mm. That's like not the ADLs mission, like mix out of that whole thing. I just, it bothered me when I saw that. And then I don't know, like I, I haven't, (sighs) this is complicated to discuss, but I, I have an issue with like the, um, the way we kind of incentivize anti-Semitism in a way, because we need these institutions to exist. And if there's no anti-Semitism, they don't exist. And so I think about that a lot. I'm not saying that's Wait what the ADL what does. Incentivize? I'm not, I'm not saying the ADL does that in any way. I'm just, it's just that there are a lot of people who work, and may, I think sometimes blow up issues that could just be like, minimized. yeah, I got I know that I, got, I know a lot um, of people are going to be angry. I'm sorry. But I, I just that's how I feel. They, those people stop listening after the Holocaust part. Um, okay. I, I got in it um, with uh, on Twitter once when um, somebody posted a video of a Hasidic guy getting punched or something getting pushed by uh, a black guy in Brooklyn. And it. it happened to be like a parking dispute um right. and people were tweeting anti-semitism anti-semitism and i'm like i'm, I'm a little like you know I, i'm right. a, i'm a little um what do you call it like um protective of my anti-semitism and right. i'm like yeah i don't know right. if that was anti-semitism right. i think those people got into a fight um and and you know nobody can accuse me i mean you can accuse me of anti-semitism that's been done before but i mean no nobody can accuse me of like not taking the side of the jews but you know right i became right. like for a minute i became like you know 
how dare you say this thing. I, I just, I think that for the institutions like ADL and others, like there's a certain kind, we've talked about this before. I don't want to rehash the whole thing again, but I think there's a certain kind of anti-Semitism that fits nicely and neatly into oh, what they want, what they what they need it to look like. And it when it's messy and complicated, it's it gets, you know, it's, it's just not, it, it's hard for them. So I, I just don't like yeah. it. I don't like turning anti-Semitism into that kind of thing. But I don't even want to talk about anti-Semitism right now because I have a question yeah, for let's you. Not, what let's not, is yes. the deal with Taylor Swift? I'm really trying to understand the obsession. I, I, do, I just, I don't know. Listen, Are you obsessed with her? Listen, this is a pro Taylor Swift pro- podcast. Um, oh, and I, okay. I just, I, I won't hear that. it. Thanks I for letting me hear this, this criticism. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even criticizing her. I just don't what really do you, what get do you want the... for... Taylor Swift is like the Israel of 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 singers <laughs> because people are always nitpicking at her and and really? and not looking at her amazing accomplishments and how she's thriving in the face of of you know all these disasters. Of what? And she is a miracle. <laughs> what? And instead what? they're like nitpicking and being like, "Oh, on the third line of her song, she said something mean about like whatever." Is she that good? I mean, honestly, is she that good? She's very good. Her songs? Really? Yeah. Are, are you not? Uh, I can't believe uh, it. I, I just don't Swifty? know. I, my, uh, my, my social media was just covered in people trying to get tickets to the show and everyone's angry and oh. then they didn't get and these people did get. And did you see that whole controversy with like, they no, stopped selling tickets it. and Oh my God! You missed this whole brouhaha that happened over the week. Like they Again, had to stop. And, and how basically... many people weren't able to get tickets to other shows during that time? Except nobody's talking about it because it's always about Taylor Swift. Well, Just I mean, she alone. sold two and a half million tickets. Wow! And like That's there were amazing. like three million other people who wanted to buy. I mean, I don't know. I wow. just don't. I don't get it. I don't get. I don't know. I guess I should um... listen to her music more. She's, um, I, I, I like her a lot. I like that she writes her music, honestly. It's a pretty low bar, maybe, for musicians, but I think that a musician right. that writes and performs their own music is gets right. like, you know, extra points as far as That's I'm concerned. That's true. Um, I do have, um, I, I did find that question from, from a listener that we wanted to address. Do you want me to read it to you? Is it a good question? I, I think so. I don't know. Um, okay. it is more, well, I don't know um, if I'll know the answer, but go for it. I'm, oh, oh, I'm, I'm sure you will. Um, so another, another listener who, uh, found us through the unspeakable podcast. So thank you, Megan down for nice. continuing to be yes. our, our number one goy booster. Um, so this woman writes, I am a devout Catholic shiksa married to a reformed Jew. As someone who is very religious, I very much understand, identify with Hialeah. And I find it so refreshing, oh. uh, to not to be the only weird religious person. On the other hand, I sometimes struggle with understanding my secular or near secular in-laws. So it's really helpful and entertaining to listen to you. My question is the following. I have the stereotypical Jewish mother-in-law, complete with judgment, nagging, guilt-tripping, and lack of boundaries. When pushed back on her bad behavior, she retreats to the refrain of, I'm a Jewish mother-in-law and I'm entitled to ask this way. Where does this come from and what can I do to maintain my and my husband's sanity? So Chayla, as, as a future annoying Jewish uh, mother-in-law, what do you, what do you have to say about that? And I was just email. having a conversation with somebody who, 
who is in a in a very similar situation as well. Another another um goy married to a Jew and having um issues with with the the mama. So tell us what is wrong with you people. I mean, what would I say about this? I mean, the first thing to understand is that your mother-in-law thinks that your husband is the greatest most important human being that ever existed on planet earth okay <laughs> so like you have to understand nobody deserves that. Like, him. there's nobody in the world that comes close to your husband in your mother-in-law's eyes okay not mm. moses not jesus not mohammed not any not of the Taylor Swift. jewish not taylor swift your husband is the most perfect human being ever created in the history of mankind and you come along and you do not treat your husband the way that this perfect human being deserves to be treated so you have to look at it (laughs) through her eyes okay if you had a precious diamond a precious i don't know heirloom something that is priceless and you saw someone caring for it very casually you would also be you know in their face and obnoxious about it and that's how jewish mother-in-laws think about their son that's all it is it's just you have to remember when you're dealing with her that this is how she is looking at the situation is that helpful you can't win you can't win is what you're saying no you have to just be you have to act like she is a museum curator and you and and your husband is a a museum piece so (laughs) while she's around you just treat him with kid gloves and make sure that he's you know being treated well in front of the mother and then you'll be fine if she sees you treating him the same way she is then you'll be she'll love you i know you just have to put it on while she's there yeah. When it's just the two of you, yeah. then you can take it out on him. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's very interesting. I, I like that the precious heirloom um, museum curator <laughs> that's thing. What it is. No, that's I what it that's is. Actually, I'm that's very helpful. Yeah. I, I mean, I, okay. I have four sons. I, I'm going to, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It is. It is. We'll see how I, I uh, turn out as a mother in law. I just had my mother in law here. Which you know, yeah, she hasn't you're been mentioning, here in a, and she's in English a few too. Years. Yes, England. she's English, like and the Queen. She's, uh, yes, yes, she was here for two over two weeks. We had my youngest son's bar mitzvah, and we were very oh, lucky. Tell and, us and all about the bar mitzvah. Thankful. Yeah, first we of were all, so I'm sorry that, that I ruined, I ruined the bar mitzvah. Apparently, was, so you, I heard because it was everybody so that showed fifty. 50 people came over to me during the bar mitzvah. Is Yael here? Is Yael here? Is, That's I'm like, the only no. reason they came. That's the only reason they oh, came. Because they thought they might see me. They were dying for you to come. But I have to do say, I have to say that some of our internet friends who we met on the internet, who I love dearly, flew in for the bar mitzvah. Um, and it was great. It was so special for me that they were there. Um, it was beautiful. We had an, a lovely weekend. Um, we're in heavy debt now. So please subscribe and like, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, but we, so it was great. Subscribe it was, to our it was very emotional. Ask you. Yeah. It was emotional. Um, you know, you work so hard, like raising kids and, um, you put a lot into them as kid babies and then as toddlers and, and elementary and, you know, and then like, I looked at him up there and reading the Torah so beautifully and the hours that, my husband put into it. I can't say I did anything to help him learn how to read the Torah, but mm. my husband spent hours and hours um, 
Olympics, you know, with him and just watching him up there. And you just, your heart, Wait, do like, you guys... it, it just feels like it's going to explode, you know? I just had a yeah, little, what? I just had a little like aha moment. Do you, do Orthodox people, like religious people, you teach your kids the, the Haftarah, the Bar Mitzvah portion? Well, or because the, for religion, the secular people, they send like you to a rabbi, but you're all right. So like you all know so the bar, stuff. Right. So it happens to be that I am married to the bar mitzvah teacher. Like he he does a lot oh. of bar mitzvah lessons. So my kids are lucky because they have him in house. And so they didn't have to go anywhere. But is it and, hard when the yeah, teacher is your know. father? You know, he my kids are pretty musical, which helps. And so he's mm. he's really good about doing it with them. They don't do like a, I don't know. Once you learn the tune, and if you know how to read Hebrew well, and you and you have a bit of a, you understand music a little bit. Um, it's not. I think it's easier to do it on your own. So I David would, would spend mortified. hours on his own. Could you imagine like Why? anything more mortifying than being a thirteen-year-old boy and having to sing in front of people? Well, I don't know how it is in non-Orthodox congregations but in our in like an orthodox soul like they're not facing the crowd so i think that's helpful like the torah's mm. red facing you know the wall um or Do they imagine or like everybody the, naked the, the front of the synagogue no mm-hmm. yeah l ew <laughs> what? it's a stage fright thing it's not it's very thing. sweet it's very sweet so um what what he did is he read the whole portion of the torah which is seven sections mm-hmm. and it was really nice and then he did the half torah and one of the cute things, I don't know if people know, but when he gets called up, because we call up different people for each section to stand there and they get to bless the Torah while he reads it. Um, and for the last one, they call up the bar mitzvah boy. And this is like the first time that he's getting called up to the Torah because we don't call people up until they're 13, boys till they're 13. Mm-hmm. So at his turn, when he says the blessing on the Torah, then when he finishes reading it, they cover the Torah and then everybody throws candy at him. Have you, have you seen that? Yeah, I, I know been from, to a bar from going to bar mitzvahs as a kid that you throw candy yeah. at people. Yeah. So everybody throws um, candy at him so that he should be showered with a sweet life. And it's really cute. And all the kids in the shoal come running up to the front to collect it all. And he just yeah. stood there and you just like everybody was busy with the candy, but I'm the mom. So I was like looking at him and he just had the most beaming smile. You know, you feel like a million Aww. bucks. You're done with the, you know, he worked on it for a year, you know, learning the thing. So like he's done and everybody's just singing for him and you just, it's just beautiful. I don't know. It's Aww. so, well, it's really special. Tough. Yeah. Mazel yeah. Tough to yeah. the little man. Thank God. Thank um, God. I'll well, tell you, should, I'll um, tell you a bitchy, we, I'll tell you a bitchy thing. Should I tell you a bitchy thing? Yes. Okay. Please. So we had a party and I don't know if other people can relate to this, but we had a party for him Thursday night before the bar mitzvah. Uh, very nice party. Very fancy, you know, like pretty fancy with bars and catering and blah, 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 music and DJ. And I cannot stop thinking about the people who RSVP'd but did not show up. (laughs) I feel bad. And I'm sure some of you listen to that podcast, so I'm not talking about you specifically. You know how they can help? They can help by subscribing. (laughs) Subscribe to the Substack and give give Highland money through through that. I know everyone has a good excuse, and I don't believe anybody meant anything malicious by not coming, but I just can't stop thinking about it. They're just anti-Semites. Don't don't RSVP if you're not going. That's all I'm going to say. Just don't RSVP. Just say no. Yeah. 
Anyway, just say no. Okay, that's enough about that. Um, so I think right, we're well, going to, we have a second part to wrap our up. episode. Um, I want to just set up the second part for a second. We were very lucky and privileged and honored to have on um, our friend, David Bernstein, who just wrote a book called Woke Antisemitism. And he came on the podcast a couple weeks ago. We recorded with him. But Yael, I'm blaming it on you. Yael was in Israel and had in this shitty case, Wi-Fi. Right. I know. In this yeah. case, I'm right. And so we had lots of technical issues during the episode, which we tried to mask and we didn't really know how to handle it. And it was just a whole... But thank God Mickey was able to put together... Um, most of the conversation. So we're attaching it to this episode. It's really interesting. Um, David is a person of the left, I would say, who is worried about anti-Semitism on the left. So he wrote a book about it and we ask him, you know, interesting questions. And I think we got, uh, mostly it's going to be me and David Yell kind of drops out and we miss, like mm-hmm. we lose her in middle. It was really funny. And she thought, that we could hear her and she, that we were ignoring her, even though yeah, she just wasn't I was really on the hurt. podcast. <laughs> That's the best I was, part. I was like, why do they won't let thought- me like, they, they won't let me get a word in. It was, it I was very laughing when I think about that. But anyway, yeah. um, so it also, this conversation took place a few weeks ago. So you're not going to hear anything about like Dave Chappelle or any of that because it hadn't happened yet. So um, if you're wondering why like certain things are missing, because it's because it happened. Uh, I mean, there's but just so much worry. anti-Semitism it's, in the news every day. Um, it's still so, yeah. good, even though I wasn't there. It's still good. Um, yeah, it's a, good and also, it's a very good conversation. Good for David for picking a career that's like never going to go out of style, right? Like, oh my gosh. If you, you talk well, about and, anti-Semitism, and, like, it's not a bubble. Yeah. It's not going to burst. And also, like, I, I admire David for, like, he's, it's hard to call out your own side on things because people automatically assume that you're now on the other side or whatever, and they get like really upset. And David's like sticking to his guns and being like, you know what? No, we need to talk about this. This is an issue. And I give him a lot of credit for that. And he wrote the book. Okay. And it's again, it's called Woke Antisemitism. You could get it on Amazon. You could get it anywhere. Um, and I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. And uh, what else? Yeah, what else should we tell our, our um, friends? We'll we'll be back. Um, hopefully, uh, I'll be back. I'm recording from New York, and we'll have we do have some really cool guests coming up. Um, I know, I know, I'm excited. I'm very excited. Next week about. we have someone Maybe really we'll, famous. Yeah, really famous. Yeah. Um, we should. Speaking of famous people, um, we are on Instagram, so you can follow yes. us there at um, what's our Instagram? Ask a Jew Pod. Ask a Jew pod. Ask a Jew pod. Yeah. And our Substack, which is askajew.substack.com. If you don't know what Substack is, it's basically a newsletter. Don't worry about it. Just sign up uh, and you'll get uh, updates. And um, you can also uh, contribute to uh, Hialeah's Bar Mitzvah Fund there. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, well, we have Hanukkah coming up too. So if you want to ask Hanukkah questions or Christmas envy questions, um, we're here. we're here to answer them. Maybe we'll talk about some of the the great um, Jews who wrote Christmas songs. We should have somebody on. I wonder if we can have somebody yeah, on to talk it? about like Christmas Jews behind Christmas music. Who would be a good person oh, I to like? That. I feel like it's uh, like you know, a you're Eli doing Lake you're again. doing you're doing my pet peeve right now, which is you're what? jumping to Christmas when Thanksgiving is not even done yet. We haven't even oh, had Thanksgiving. Oh right. 
Right, like, right, it's right. So but sad I, for this holiday. I don't don't celebrate Thanksgiving. I celebrate uh, Native American Turkey. Uh, oh day. my god! But Thanksgiving um, is on this week on Thursday. We're recording. On I know. Monday I know. I'm not counting it because I I literally like land in New York that day, and I, I just um, that's so sad. And you weren't invited anywhere. That's sad. I was invited. <laughs> excuse me. I'm still going. I was oh, you invited were? to several places. But um oh, but good. um I will if if I remember I'll include in the Substack. Hopefully we'll get this out before Thanksgiving. Um because one of okay. my favorite things to do when I worked at NYPD was uh work uh work the parade. And um oh. I'll um I'll include some photos because it was always really fun to uh take a photo with a giant SpongeBob. Okay, good. Oh, let's also um, include a photo of the 5,000 Chabad rabbis who took a picture yesterday in Brooklyn. We'll include that also. The what? It's a, it's a pretty cool picture. The f- There's like oh, four okay. or 5,000 rabbis in New York right now, and they took a picture. Oh, wow. They do a yearly. Yeah, it's a, the Chabad Yeah, rabbis. I saw they did a yeah. tribute to um, Chief Scholl, who was a NYPD chief of uh, Brooklyn South who passed away this summer. Uh, it wasn't, so I, don't, nice. I don't think he pretty sure he wasn't Jewish, but he had a really great relationship because he oversaw that those big events. That's um, so nice. Okay. Yeah, I send it to you. We'll, we'll put it on our Instagram. Okay. All right. Well, enjoy um, the rest I'll of the conversation. In the greatest, yes. uh, the, the, the big Satan. I'll see you back in the big Satan. I'm here in the little <laughs> Satan, Israel. Um, but I'll okay. see you back um, in the greatest uh, nation uh, on earth, or at least one of two. Bye, everyone. Enjoy David. One of three. (laughs) One of three. Bye. Yeah, I mean, this is getting a little bit into your book and into stuff that Mm -hmm. I know we care about, like, outside of the story. But um, I don't know. This whole cancel culture thing is so complicated. And, you know, our instinct sometimes is like, oh, that person's so against me. Let's never hear from that person again. But I don't know if it's good for us culturally and as a society. Yeah, I think you're right. I think your instincts are completely right. I think what I'm writing about in some ways is that cancel culture, the ideology surrounding it is actually creating some of the anti-Semitism we're seeing on the left. So I don't want to do anything that reinforces that underlying culture. In some ways, it's it's the Jewish dilemma at the moment. I know that uh, at least, Haile, you're in California, you know, the ethnic studies curriculum came up and, um, and you had this sort of horrible choice. On the one hand, you could try to influence the curriculum. And if you did and tried to get the really bad stuff about Jews out of there, or you tried to get some good stuff about Jews in there, you were sort of buying into the the frame of it, the ideological frame, the oppressor versus oppressed binary frame. Or you could oppose the ideology altogether. So either you're faced with like saying, no, we Jews aren't really white. No, no, don't call us white. Um, And we're playing the oppression Olympics. Or we can say, we just reject that whole thing because there's nothing wrong with being a white person and stop demonizing whiteness. So I've lost the road on this. I used to be on the camp that said, look, if you're not at the table, then you're lunch. So I would always try to be (laughs) part of the discourse on the progressive left. But now I realize that that discourse, the price of admission is just too high. Mm -hmm. And it it requires you to repudiate America. It requires you to say that America is a white supremacist oppressive state when it's not. And it requires you in some cases to repudiate your Zionism. And I don't want to do those things. And I'm not going to sit there and have that argument anymore. And I think for me now... 
um, in the organization I represent, we're saying this discourse is flawed. It's not good for Jews. It's not good for America. It's not good for the West. It's not good for the minorities that purports to help. And we've got to sort of get, we've got to go back to a social model that actually works for society. Mm. Look, I think Jews desperately want to be aligned with the social movements of the day. I mean, it's sort of in our DNA, particularly around the civil rights movement. Um, so I think Jews feel like that they want to be part of something and like their parents or grandparents might have been. So they're drawn in in that way. This ideology is just brilliant, freaking brilliant in its ability to sort of lure people in and make you think that you're advocating for equal rights and dignity for all people when you're really not. Mm. And so, so Jews are sort of susceptible to that. Um, and the reason why this ideology spreads is because it tells people that if you don't agree with it, you're a racist or you're part of the oppressive class. And that's really powerful Jew for Jews who want to be part of the good guys and mm -hmm. the left as they see it. Um, the other part of this, I think we have to acknowledge is that the right is also crazy. Oh, like, you sure. know, and, and it's maybe more, it's crazy, but with crazy with guns. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and so if you're facing like, okay, is a Cossack on the left, who's just, you know, forcing you to say things you don't believe or Cossack on the right, who's saying that, you know, America's being taken over by all those immigrants and Jews are helping them along, you might just take the Cossack on the left. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of our problem as, as well, is that we're in this very ideological time and we are having trouble navigating. And I think what we need is a third way, which I could talk about. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of a story in your book, actually, that you told about one of the students, I remember Jordana, maybe her name was, that mm -hmm. said, you know, before we start talking about anything, let's acknowledge our privilege. And it's just like when young Jews talk like that, it's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> they, I think there's just this big disconnect between where the Jewish people have been and where we are today. And young Jews maybe just don't have that sort of context for what the Jewish people have been through. I mean, I, it, to me, it seems like literally a, just a lack of education for a young Jew to say, like, we need to stop and talk about our privilege. I mean, I, I just, I don't, it, it enrage, it actually, it enrages me when I hear that. Right, right. I could, I could read you so many scripts of Jews saying, and, and these are not just like random Jews on Twitter. I'm talking about major Jewish institutions, major denominational bodies that are saying that Jews are, we should acknowledge our complicity in white supremacy and we should work to disrupt daily acts of whiteness. That's actually being taught now. Right. It's so silly. And and I would laugh, except so many people are buying into this. And when I call them out a little bit, I was saying, is that really what we should be saying and doing? You're called a racist. And right. I feel like this incredible disconnect with people that I've actually worked with over the years. I mean, I've been I'm a person of the left or the center left. And I'm more comfortable being on the center left. I want to make society a better place. I don't want to ignore some of the social problems, the disparities the economic deprivation. Right. And yet I can't even be in conversation with people who agree with me on some of the policy prescriptions. It's gotten that crazy. So what do we do about like, cause I, I, and this is a sentiment that I do kind of understand is people who consider themselves liberal or left or progressive saying that, you know, by calling out the left constantly, 
and sort of shining lights on, you know, the issues on the left, we're emboldening the right, right? We're giving them space to like, say, you see, you see what we mean. And especially people like Donald Trump, who like, I mean, two weeks ago said the most insane insane thing. And he got lucky that Kanye came out because his comments kind of disappeared. But I mean, two weeks ago, Donald Trump literally said that the American Jewish community uh, better get their acts together or they're going to suffer. I mean, who says that? And so how do we. Right. Yeah, but Donald yeah, Trump. A lot of has... American Jews who, who, who defended him at that moment thinking, oh, he's right. Of course. Oh, my I'm God. Thinking, Come on, guys. No, he's not. You know not... what trope he's tapping into. Let's exactly. not Let's not go there. Um, yeah. Look, I have an answer for that. That I turned the tables. I said, listen, this radical woke ideology that you're buying into is actually fanning the flames of craziness on the right wing. Mm. Uh, and it's making people vote in a way that they might not vote otherwise. If you tell a poor white dude who's living in like Steubenville, Ohio, and his has no manufacturing jobs, not for like one generation, but for like two generation, and there's opioids everywhere, and you're telling them that they're privileged, I got to tell you, that's terrible politics. Mm -hmm. If you're telling Latinos who don't like to be called Latinx that they're Latinx anyway, that's terrible politics. I mean, it just, this is the worst politics. I mean, you know, I think Dems could have actually won the midterms, but they'll probably lose them by huge margins. And I'm not going to say it's only because of that, because obviously there's this thing called inflation too happening. But I mean, it is so it is so repulsive to the average American. I mean, I we have a poll. I could show you the poll. Uh, um, 1,600 likely voters. People hate this shit. Right. And um, I mean, it's like 10% like it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's feeding a larger segment of people who really, really hate it. Right. And I don't think I so I think yeah, I could say, listen, if we don't get our own house in order, we're going to be electing crazies. So I think you're doing more to damage your own case, our own case for rational politics than I am by calling out the left on it. And I'm not saying it's worse on the left. You know, um, Jonathan Greenblatt from the ADL, who I disagree with a lot on these things, called um, what we're seeing anti-Semitism on the right a hurricane and anti-Semitism on the left like climate change. Mm. And I think that's a really good analogy, except that here's the problem. He doesn't tell you what the CO2 emissions are that are producing the climate change on the left. <laughs> and the CO2 emissions is this radical social justice ideology that's caught on, in my view. Mm. So and you were saying before that you have some solutions. I mean, we never have solutions for anything. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be a first for our podcast. <laughs> but yeah. So I think we should we should we should really look at the numbers here. It is true that support for Israel has moved to the right in the past 25 years, and most specifically in the last 10. Uh, but still, about half Democrats are, are more sympathetic toward Israelis than they are Palestinians. That's, uh, oh. that's right out of the Gallup poll and also the poll that we just conducted. Um, now, that doesn't mean there are not problems. There are problems. And another poll, we, uh, polling question we asked, um, do you believe Israel has the right to defend itself? A, that was one of the, or B, do you believe Israel is a settler colonial state? About a, only a third of the Democrats said a settler colonial state. That's oh. still high in my view, by the way. And I don't, that was not the case 10 years ago. So we shouldn't be so happy about it, but it just tells you that's high. That's high, but 
it, it just shows you that the Democratic Party has not still been taken over by these forces in the way some would like you to believe. What you're seeing with wokeness is it really has taken over institutions and in society more than it has party politics at this point. Mm. Um, the Democratic Party is still not the party of AOC and probably won't be for a, a good amount of time. But all, even the mainstream Democrats are constantly looking over their shoulder to the left flank and wondering where all the energy of the party is, what they should say and do. So it's having an effect anyway. But but still, most are not like AOC at this point. Mm. That's an interesting point. I know. By in, and I think by institutions, I mean, it's pretty clear which institutions we're talking about. I mean, higher ed and I don't know, like. Yeah, media. media, human services, medicine, yeah. law. I mean, the medicine is crazy. Right. I mean, it's just crazy to think that it would affect. I don't know if you saw that dean of the University of Minnesota Medical School read this profession of faith where all the students followed along and with them. I mean, it was nuts. And that just tells you how far that institution has gone down the rabbit hole. The worry is that over time, if this continues to corrode our understanding of the world, which I think this is. Israel is situated in a larger worldview. And if that worldview continues to corrode and give way to this oppressed versus oppressor binary, which we're installing in our kids' heads in K through 12 now, it used to be just college, now it's K through 12. My son, for example, um, who uh, my, my younger son is not in Jewish day school now. My older son graduated from Jewish day school. My, um, he, um, he's learning uh, to recognize and resist systems of oppression. And that's the new social studies curriculum that my school <laughs> system is adopting. Now, they don't have to mention Jews or Israel. They don't. All they have to do is install that binary software into kids' heads. And in five years, they'll apply it to Jews in Israel. That's the mm. problem. And that's, gonna, that's going to have huge long-term effects unless we can reverse it. A lot of Jews, they hear about that and they say, well, they're not mentioning Jews in Israel, so it's not my problem. And that's what, what I'm trying to do is get them to connect the dots between that larger ideological phenomena that we're seeing and the anti-Semitism that is gaining ground on the left. Wait, David, is that the son who was kicked out of school for making a video about guns? And I just like cannot get over that story that with yeah. no intention. I mean, they don't care at all about intent in that story and they just... Kicked him out. I, I that yeah, was so now really I upsetting. really know you're right. Yeah. So this is little R. Yeah. <laughs> this is really little Ari Bernstein in eighth grade. Um, you know who couldn't hurt a flea, and in the basement of my house took a picture with this other boy with a plastic airsoft gun pointed to his head and they sent it to like seven other kids on Snapchat. And I get this call from the principal, um, saying that Ari did something very horrible. And that he was being suspended for three and a half weeks. And I was like, for that three and a half weeks, I mean, maybe three hours, maybe three days. And I wouldn't have <laughs> totally gone ballistic. And um, when I talked to the principal about it, she says, well, there were a lot of kids who are really anxious about that. And it's the, it's the harm, not the intent that matters. And I had read about this already in the coddling of the American mind by Jonathan Hyde and mm -hmm. Greg Lukianoff that, Right. Yeah, that's our Bible. Right. And um, and then I then when I, I saw that Don McNeil, the science reporter for The New York Times, who was a surprise winning sci science reporter, was pushed out for 
saying the quoting the n-word and before that though he was actually exonerated but then uh, 150 staffers of the times went mm -hmm. crazy and they approached the publisher and they said you taught us in our sexual harassment training that it's the harm not the intent that matters and we're telling you we were harmed by what he did and then they pushed him out and that's that's part of the weaponization of this ideology um and uh, you know it's like um you know, and I think that's what we're up against. That, and I, I know it doesn't sound like that has anything to do with Jews in Israel, but it does. Yeah. See, woke ideology really holds two basic ideas. One, that bias and oppression are not just a matter of individual attitudes, but they're embedded in the very systems and structures of society. And two, that only those with lived experience have the qualifications and the insights to define that oppression for the rest of society. Mm. It's that second platform is used to weaponize the first. It said, you don't have the standing to opine on race or racism or any of these other topics. And that basically now is used to undermine our liberal values in society, our small liberal values where people can talk to each other and debate and discuss issues. And it's, and it's used to sort of impose a certain ideology on the rest of society. Exactly. Exactly. I, I think it's, I, I do want to say something like, and I, I don't know how the other Orthodox, how our Orthodox listeners will feel, but I do think there's a big difference between the way Orthodox Jews view anti-Semitism and the way non-Orthodox Jews view it. And it's, I, I think it's interesting to like, at least mention, I mean, when we grow up in, in our schools and our families, there's just this like, inevitability, right? I mean, it's, it's, we're taught, you know, everyone hates Jews and just like, that's life and it's not going to change. And that's sort of the makeup of the world. And that's our place in the world. And it doesn't define who we are. It's just like a matter of, you know, we have to defend ourselves. We have to be strong. We have to make sure that we're, we have security and safety around us. And it's just the, like, who cares about Kanye? You know, that's kind of the attitude in the Orthodox world. Like mm -hmm. it, these things just don't penetrate. It's not a big deal. Um, and yet when I look at my students who are, who aren't Orthodox and who live in the regular world and, 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 you know, their whole life is on social media and in media and, and Hollywood, it's painful. Like you think you're part of the mainstream and then all of a sudden these people you admire are like calling you out and you don't even know why, like you don't even have that, right. You don't have that context given to you that like, this is the way it is for the Jews and it's not going to change. And maybe it's fatalistic and maybe it's not a fun way to think about the world and uh, to always think that everyone hates you. But in a way, it's just easier to like accept this reality right. that like, you know, this is how life is. And it doesn't matter if you're on the right or on the left or in the middle or, you know, whatever. They're going to hate us and we should just live our best life and be right. proud to be Jewish and, and constantly like do the things that make being Jewish worthwhile and not let Kanye West define our Judaism. So I don't know. I feel can I, can I critique, can I critique that though for yes, a second? Please. So I love, I love my Orthodox friends. I've spent time in yeshiva. <laughs> I know the whole scene. And I think though, in America, we've watched the transformation of American society in a way that totally changed our standing. I mean, if you went back like 50 or 60 years ago, Jews had to have their own law firms. We right. have these ridiculous country clubs. And that, you know, I'm sorry if either one of you are a member of one of them, but you know, they're <laughs> still around. Um, and, um, you know, and, and Jews were shunned from a lot of society. And because we, 
engaged in a kind of political advocacy. We insinuated ourselves into institutions. We built friends. We made coalitions. We changed the way that Jews live in America. So I think there's reason for American Jews to feel empowered enough to take on this anti-Semitism and not feel so fatalistic about it, even if we're never going to sort of obliterate it from right. the very fabric of society. And in some ways, that's what we're, we're seeing. We're Like the anti-Semitism that I think your Orthodox friends correctly see as being sort of in, in, the, in the ether of society, that's true. Ideologies can give them permission structures that allow them to come out, and sometimes the way it comes out is really bad. I mean, you know, if if great replacement theory is having crazies go out <laughs> and shoot up synagogues, then we have a problem. Like right. you know, and um, and and that affects, as you know, you know, that was in Poway and Squirrel Hill. Yeah, yeah, Orthodox Jews. So um, I think we we have to take that seriously, and you know. America is a bulwark against the scourge of hostility against Israel everywhere else. The mm -hmm. UN votes 42% of the time against Israel. I mean, 42% of their overall votes are against Israel. I think that's still the, the stat. And <laughs> exactly, it's crazy stuff. And so we depend on the United States voting in the Security Council a certain way. We depend on the United States providing aid to Israel. We pretend, we, we depend on the United States selling certain arm systems that they may eventually need, God forbid, against Iran. And, and so we have to be empowered and we can't afford not to engage in politics in this right. country because this country has such it, an important place in the world and for right. Israel. That's a really good point. I actually never thought about that because as bad as we think things are here, it's still better here than it is in many European countries and many places exactly. around outside of the Western. I, I, it's funny because, um, What's going to happen in Israeli politics is going to play a role in this story here for American Jewry. And I, you know, this, we made a joke about Ben Gvir at the beginning of the, of the podcast. Um, this guy, just for those who don't know, Itamar, is his name Itamar Ben Gvir is running for his party is running for seats in the Israeli, um, upcoming election. And he is like, I don't know how to describe him, but is he populist right wing, um, yeah, sort, of sort of nationalistic, nationalistic xenophobic, yeah. right wing. Yeah, yes. and he's going to probably win many seats. Like I mean, 13 I, seats. Yeah, yeah. And I think American Jews are going to freak out about it and not know how to handle um, you know, a, a right, a, a, an upswing in, in like extreme right politics in Israel and they're going to want to shy away from it. And they're going to get, it's going to be so complicated for them without the, right. by the way, without the context that this is happening all over. I mean, Italy is, is electing more right-wing people. Sweden had a, a right-leaning election, you know, on and on. So what do yeah. we do about things like that? Yeah. I, I'm really concerned about it as well. I think that we have, we have to sort of help people talk, talk it through with them. Yeah. Um, number one, look, the Jewish state is not perfect. We have, it is the sovereign expression of the Jewish people. If you live in the United States, we're not a sovereign Jewish community. 
Um, so if you decide to hang out with your Chabad friends, or <laughs> I decide to hang out with my liberal Jews in Montgomery County, Maryland, I can do that. I don't have to make decisions with Chabad to decide how I live my Jewish life. Right. But in Israel, Israel is a sovereign country, and Israel has to figure it all out together. And part of figuring it out is, what do you do? We have a lot of Jews who raised like me from the Arab world who don't have these hyper left-wing attitudes about politics. We have a million Jews who American Jews brought in from the former Soviet Union who do not share their politics. Right. I mean, thank God all those people made it to Israel and now have a life there. But they changed the the, the politics of the country. And yeah. it's much harder to have a, left, a vibrant left-wing politics. So we have to own that. That's not, it's not over there 6,000 miles away. That's our issue here. And and so let's start talking about it in a way that makes us sort of co-authors and not somehow completely separate from what's happening in Israel. And to talk about it, as they say, more like your mother than your (laughs) mother-in-law. I love that. Yes, yes. I love that. So I, I, one of the things that I found fascinating about your book is just the number of people that you've interacted with over the years and different roles that you played in the Jewish community. I didn't realize how many different organizations you worked for. And like, I'm just curious, like any cool stories about like the most famous, I don't know, who's some, what's a famous person or cool person that you've really enjoyed getting to know over the years? Like, I'm just, I love hearing those kinds of personal stories. Sure, sure. I've had a chance to meet with a lot of American officials over the years. I have so many stories. I should be able to think of one off the top of my head. Um, you <laughs> Sorry know, for putting you on the also spot. In, on, you know, in Israel as well, I've gotten to know so many fascinating people and it's, it's been amazing um, to have a briefing from somebody who was the chief of staff of the military oh. um, for three prime ministers talk about the nuclear option or Whoa. to get, Natan Sharansky, who wrote the foreword to my book. I know. To, that was so uh, cool. Yeah. And he's he's an amazing man. And I've gotten to talk to him and get his actual perspectives about this, which are the same as what he wrote in the foreword. I mean, yeah. he'd say the same thing to you off yeah. line than he would in the foreword. Um so I've had I've uh, yeah there's a lot of um you know and some of it some of it's amazing some of it is watching sort of this hi- our history unfold and some of it was sort of painful as well um you know especially as I watched the American Jewish community sort of fall under the influence of this ideology mm-hmm. um that even like 20 some years ago I was sort of warning against and then to watch people who I think are sort of liberal in the classic sense sort of throw in the towel to these radical forces and forget who they are and what they yeah. stand for and just try to conform. That was that was really hard. Yeah, I, I think you and I come from a very similar place politically, very center and and sort of maybe left-leaning. But it's just, I, I, going back to what we were talking about before, what I find difficult is the perception that you're moving to the right when all you really want is the left to not move further left, right? Like you want to stay where you're comfortable. And at least that's how I feel. And I want to be able to find a home for myself where it's okay. Like I'm pro-choice, but I'm also like pro-second amendment. And I'm also like all of these different things that somehow today feels like you can't be that person anymore. You can't be a person that holds differing views from different sides because then you're nowhere. Then you're some crazy, weird libertarian that, you know, listens to the fifth column. I don't know. Like, you're just, right. you don't have a home in the, like, polite society. And I I just really, I don't know. Do you feel that way politically here, too? 
Yeah, yeah. And, and this ideology has made it even like 10 times yeah. more so. Um, yeah, I think it's really troubling that you that people are personalizing their politics. They're using politics as a litmus test. That's something, by the way, you're seeing much more so on the left than on the right. We have uh, data to show that, that uh, the left tends to to apply personal litmus tests in their to their po- so if your uncle is going to say something you don't like you're not going to hang out with your uncle anymore. Yeah. Um yeah. and uh you know I I worry about that a lot and I don't know what to do about it. I do think we can make some new friends though. See, mm. I think that the vast majority of Americans and this gets sort of into solutions do not like the extreme right. They do not like the extreme left. And what we have to do is find out who they are. Um, mm. We're working, we're doing that through the Jewish Institute for Liberal Values. We just had this thing in New York in June with like 50 Jewish, Asian American, and Black heterodox thinkers. I know your guy Camille Foster was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and we're trying to get to know these people. Who are the people in right. San Francisco who got rid of the school board members who wanted to change all the names of the schools? Right. In, right. Like, it's like an Indian guy named Siva Raj and his wife, um, Autumn, and um, and also a lot of Chinese-American activists. Uh, and these are not radical right-wing people. These, mm-hmm. are, these are mainstream folks who just want to, want to live in a country that respects the ideals that they thought they were signing up for when they came here. Right, right. Things that our families, we're both from immigrant families, they came here right. for, those, for those ideas. I know we should talk about the fact that you're a mixed, uh, you're Sephardi and Ashkenazi, or Mizrahi, I don't know how you define yourself, yeah. but uh, uh, Iraqi, right? I mean, you have Iraqi yeah. my family, mom your is, mom's uh, Iraqi, my, and your dad. Is an American Jew, American who like Jew. is third generation American <laughs> Jew. How was that? So, how like did you grow up what, what what's your Jew what's your identity? Yeah, I've always loved my Mizrahi identity because it's just way more fun than sort of that <laughs> like bland Ashkenazic stuff. The food's way better, if you oh, ask yeah. me. I know. Um, and um, but it was interesting. Like uh, you know, I really lived it. Like my mom um came in 1963, very late for Iraqi Jews, and we had a my cousin moved into the house with his mom, and they lived in the room next to us, and there was Arabic always being spoken. Mm-hmm. And I speak Arabic better than a lot of my the cousins that you know, because mm-hmm. I grew up with a grandmother in the house. Right. Um, and we talked all the time, it was very noisy. My dad would go in the bedroom and like lock himself in, and so that <laughs> you know, because I mean he liked it, but you know, not for five straight hours. Uh, you know, when, um, and, um, and so, um, you know, I grew it with a lot of, I grew with sort of insight into what it was like to be, um, an immigrant Jew who thought America was the most amazing place in the world. Um, and probably is going to be very repulsed by the ideology that I'm writing about. And I write about that in the book, like, you know, um, that was one of the things I grew up thinking that America was an amazing place and being able to compare it to what the experience was like for Iraqi Jews living in Baghdad, Iraq Mm -hmm. Um, and say, okay, look, this the best humanity has to offer today is America or the UK or Australia. It's not any of those other countries. And I don't want to be drawn in by a utopian ideology that cannot possibly be acted on in the here and now. That's just going to make things worse for everyone. Yeah, no, I think that's that is true, and I I think, I mean, it, statistics show, by the way, and polls show constantly that immigrants are more conservative 
than they are liberal. I mean, and and I think that's hard for Democrats to like swallow right now that in yeah. some of the races that they're going to lose, it's going to be because of immigrant populations who are like, we're not buying into this narrative that this is the worst country in the world that, you know, everyone is racist and it's a, you know, systems of oppression are still in place. I mean, they're going to lose some of those big races because of that. And I don't know, they have to like come to terms with that. I mean, that's right. the stark reality. So I spoke, and I'm not going to be too specific because I could get myself in trouble. I yeah. spoke at an Asian American conference with like 500 people over the summer. And um, I talked about, um, I, I was I actually told the director who didn't want me to go into this whole anti-woke thing, even though he's anti-woke himself. I told him that I wouldn't, but then, um, <laughs> and then I reneged totally when somebody asked a question. <laughs> um, and I said, listen, folks, I don't know about you, but I don't believe America is an oppressive society. And is that really the right narrative for your community? Do you want your kids to be told that the system is rigged in a way that helps certain people and not others? Is that how, why you came to this country? And I got a total standing ovation. Wow. And I couldn't even leave the hall. And I didn't say anything that profound, to be honest with you. I just actually said the words that other people were thinking and hadn't yet said. Yeah. And and I believe that that tells you where these people are going to be politically over time. Yeah. The Latino community moved rightward. The Asian community is moving rightward. So to think that somehow just because America becomes a majority, quote unquote, non-white, doesn't mean that our politics are going to be like way to the left. Right. I think the opposite is likely to be the case. Yeah. I mean, I hate to do a throat clearing, but I can imagine some of our listeners yelling at us at this point and saying, but there are problems, and the, you know, blah, blah. And it's true. We agree. It is. I, I, we, I totally Absolutely. acknowledge that. And I, I think that the solutions are just not the way the, the, what's happening is not going to help. That's, that's how I really feel. Right. I think we need right. better solutions. Not, no, I'm not saying at all, because I've been involved in these issues for many years, that there are there's no oppression anywhere. There is. Exactly. There are, right. There's unfinished business of race and racism in this country. Absolutely. But I, I, it's not the right model to tell people that they have to acknowledge their complicity in white supremacy. It's not true, in my view, that America is pervasively, in every nook and cranny of society, is racist. Right. It's just not true. There's right. racism. There's racism that we have to sort of take on. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we should tell ourselves that we're all part of this white supremacist conspiracy. And that <laughs> is not going to actually solve any problems. That's just going to make a lot of people really alienated and angry. I know. And it's going to send the message to people who are actually struggling that the system is rigged against them. So why even try? Right. I mean, again, it's just like, that's what we're taking on. It's not the idea that there's still problems that need to be fixed in this society. It's just not the right kind of conversation to fix them. Right, right. How do you respond to people who, and I'm going to be very honest right now and don't, don't yell at me listeners, but I have felt this week a little tiny bit like, do we, prove the anti-Semites right when we come down on Kanye the way we do. Like, I, I, I was a little nervous this week, actually, reading, you know, I, the things he's saying, like, I can't get canceled by Adidas. And then, boom, he says something anti-Semitic, he's canceled by Adidas. Me I, And some of my students actually raised this with me also. Like, he has said horrible things in the past about the Black community, about other communities. He wore the White Lives t-shirt and he was still fine. But once he says something about the Jews, how do we deal with that? That, like, we are very good. At, I don't know if it's just because we're organized or how, how it, we have institutions that, you know, take the lead on these things. But how do you respond to that kind of feeling? Right. Yeah. Look, I think 
it's a little different. You know, he is a black man and he has more leeway in our discourse to say things that might be perceived as derogatory about the black community than others. Um, And, um, and, you know, white lives, I mean, you know, he's, uh, again, if that, if he were a white celebrity, it probably would have been the end of his career, but he's not. So when he said something about people that are different then that obviously set off alarm bells. Yeah. It's a bit of a catch 22, right? You know, when we respond in a, in a way that might actually change things for him. Um, And, and I think we can get too caught up in the, in the, personalities around this and not enough about what is happening in our society that is producing this. You know, when we talk about right-wing anti-Semitism and great replacement theory, we talk about the underlying ideological ether that that gives rise to it. When we talk about anti-Semitism in the Muslim world, we talk about radical Islamist ideology and jihadism that allows people to treat Jews as the infidel. But when we talk about anti-Semitism on the left, we talk about it as if it's like a set of symptoms without a set of causes <laughs> and because no one wants to actually deal with that. And yeah. I think rather than get too caught up in what's happening today, although you have to, like if it's happening at Berkeley, it's happening at Berkeley, mm-hmm. but you have to say, why, what are, what are the conspiracy theories and the ideologies that are giving rise to this anti-Semitism? Mm. That's what I think we're, we're we're not doing enough of and we're spending too much time on sort of hitting going after individual people that's such a good point i think that's a really really important point and it's different like you're saying it's different in different places you know the anti-semitism that the hasidic jews in brooklyn deal with is different than what's going on at berkeley which is different than what's going on you know in charlottesville like there's so many different things happening at once and they're all under the banner of anti-semitism but they all have different symptoms and different reasons why and it's it's exhausting to like try and deal with each one and and you have to sort of be a little bit nuanced when we talk about it like the you know the what's happened to hasidim in brooklyn is horrible i I heard a statistic that there were something like 400 acts of violence last year that's more than one a day that's crazy so yeah. is that woke anti-Semitism? Not really. I mean, it is it is sort of traditional anti-Jewish resentment mm-hmm. taking place in a part of the community. It's not taking place everywhere in the black community. I mean, the county right. next to me, Prince George's County, Maryland, is 60-some percent black, and there's a there's a Jewish presence and there's an Asian presence and there hasn't been a single act of anti-Jewish or anti-Asian violence there. It's right. taking place in New York, which is a bit of a pressure cooker. And um, and so we have to sort of, you know, be precise about how we talk about it and thoughtful about how we talk about it. But we have to talk about it. And, and this is where that social justice variety of anti-Semitism comes in. I think it's harder to talk about because people say, well, they're the oppressed, so they can't really be anti-Semites. Right. And I think that's where we have to say, uh-uh, yeah. um, this is this is serious business. People are, are uh, it's creating a terrible, unsafe environment for Jews, and we're not going to have it. And and not not feel feel held back at all in the way we respond to that. Do you ever just like not want to deal with this and have like a regular job, like working at Trader Joe's or something? Right. My my, Ari Bernstein works at Trader Joe's, so I know (laughs) that's all about. Um, Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Yeah. Look, I'm one of those people who likes to be in the 
and and I, I I'm drawn to uh, what's being discussed and debated in society. Yeah. You know, I was I was in Israel this last week, and people were saying, ah, some Israelis, and you've heard this a million times, I'm sure. I hate Jerusalem. I love Tel Aviv, um, and it's because they can cut the tension with a knife in Jerusalem, and they don't want to. That's what they were trying to get away from when mm-hmm. they started the Jewish state, not what they were trying to go into, right? That's so and, funny. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Like, yeah. I love that that sort of tension in the air. So I may not be representative of anybody. Like, That's right. I think I, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a few of us out there uh, who like being in the discussion. So I don't, I, I want to be, I want to help people understand how ideas proliferate in society, infect the way we think and act. Right. Yeah, and, uh, I, I worry. I, I kind of, I mean, it came up yesterday in in a discussion that we, you know, in the Jewish professional world, it's exhausting. This is it. It gets exhausting, exhausting dealing with this stuff. I mean, not to be one of those. Oh my God, I'm so tired, and we're doing all the work. Right, but, right. but, but <laughs> your emotional labor, exactly the emotional <laughs> labor that we're carrying. But the truth is, is like if you're. I mean, I can only speak from a Hillel perspective or working with right. students. But if you want to go into this kind of work, and it's like you want to do Shabbat dinners and holiday parties, and you want to engage with students and learning, but then your job is really spent most of the time dealing with anti-Semitism and like the you know anti-Israel stuff and all that. It's just like why go into that work it's it really is draining and and tiring and i think we're going to have like someone said yesterday i think we're going to have a bit of a crisis in trying to find professionals that yeah. want to do that work and we're going to have to like think about how to make this job more um more palatable for people right right how many people are really willing to put themselves out there all the time yeah it's it's that's a really good point i have not thought about what that might mean for the Jewish professional world um, if we if if people are just sort of beaten down by the scourge of hostility and yeah. just don't want to deal with it. Like, okay, I'll go work for, you know, some some big company where exactly. no one really cares. Yeah. And, and it's it's never ending. That's the problem with so because of social media, it's like I, I joke with my students, I want to have two weeks where the Jews aren't in the news. Like we have two weeks that there's no issue, but I think it's just the, it's just the, um, it's the social media and the, and the way everything is just so fast moving and fast paced and changing all the time. I don't know. It's, it's pretty, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm the most positive Jew. I love, I've said this a million times. I love being Jewish. I love the work I do, but I, I get after a couple of weeks that we've had, it's, it gets to you, you know? Right. It right. gets to you. And, it, and, you know, I was told by somebody really prominent in sort of classical left liberal circles, be careful about the culture war. It makes a lot of people go crazy. Mm. And, um, and so I'm not just doing it on the Jewish side of it. I'm also doing it for sort of in the larger American picture. And I think I'm pretty well cut out to deal with it compared to a lot of other people. But I've watched people just be beaten down and sort of go crazy. Um, you know, it's hard when there are people on Twitter that you thought were friendly to you, yeah. that you've known for many years, treating you with such like snark and nastiness. Yeah. And, like you're somehow, you know, you're you're a heretic. Yeah. Um, for not agreeing with their their worldview or their ideas about X, Y, or Z. That that does like I can see how that can turn somebody crazy. I I tend to be able to sort of hold my own, but 
Yeah, I think yeah. I, my psychology is maybe different from the average person. So that's why I could be like right. canceled <laughs> and not be that pissed off about it. You like fighting with people. You like, you like, I, I do like it a little bit. I do like it a little bit, but I also like being, I, I, I sort of want to go home friends afterwards. Yeah. Like I grew up around all these Jewish, mostly guys, and all we did is argue, 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 yeah. argue. But afterwards, it was like it never happened. There was no, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was part of how we, talk to each other and how we learn. And in this environment now, it's not like that. Like, I'm not really arguing with these people on the, the substance of the issues. They're just saying, you're an oppressor who wants to uphold systems of oppression, and I'm right. not going to really talk to you about the ideas. And, that, and, and that's really hard to stomach. So yeah. I'm not going to say that I'm immune from it either. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a question if I'm, we're sure. getting up to an hour, but I want to ask you about the process of writing a book. I'm very jealous that you actually sat down and wrote a book. And I think something Yael and I uh, are trying to do more of is some writing. And, you know, I don't know. I always thought, I always felt like, Felice always felt like I had a book in me, but I don't know. Yeah. How did, how is that process for you? Yeah, I always thought I had a book in me and I had a few false starts. Like I would, and, and then I have a really good friend who I was my roommate in college who said, you need to go write this book. And I didn't, he didn't even know what the precise topic was. And I said, yeah, I think I'm ready. Cause I'd mm. been doing this for a year. Um, and I had written a lot of articles. That was the other thing. I written something like 50 opinion pieces over the course mm. of like a year. And so because of that, I had a lot of material to work with and, I'm, I wrote it in like two months. Wow. Um, really? Yeah. I would. Um, and I don't know that I could ever do that again. Like, I don't think I have a two monther in me again, right. maybe a six monther, but not a two monther. Um, so I, I did it very quickly. Um, and I was sort of, you know, surprised that it happened that way. Cause I'm, capable of procrastinating and not doing <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, and I put things off and yeah. all that. But in this case, I sort of tapped into something that I needed to say and mm. um, it came together really quickly. So um, I, 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 I met, I know you guys know Megan Daum sure. um, because yeah. you've been on her podcast. Mm. Um, I was in her sort of writer's group and um, that she led and oh. there was this woman named Rhonda Rockwell who was in it too, who used to be teach writing at Harvard and she wrote beautifully. And it was there that I said, Rhonda, can you edit as I go along? Because uh -huh. it'll really help. And she's got a real flair for the English language. And so I had her look at my chapters and oh, then she would give smart. me some. So that, 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 that was also, it was also just like another, another person helping me think through things as I went along. So yeah. that was I just took, helpful. I just took Megan's, uh, she just did an op-ed class, how to oh, yeah, write an op-ed. So uh -huh. I did it because I always, I have all these opinions and I want to write more and I want to get them out there. So when I sit down at the computer to start writing, or even if I take a pen and paper, I'm all, my, my biggest problem is like, I think to myself, who cares what I think? Who cares what Hylea yeah. thinks? Why is anyone going to read this? And I, I have to get past that block where it's like, no, I can just write how I feel. And if someone's interested, they'll pick it up and maybe somebody will read it. And I, I don't know. That's my biggest challenge is like getting first past all, that. Yeah. First of all, you do have a lot to say and you have great opinions. So say them, say them in one line first and then come up with the three bullet points. <laughs> yeah, right. you're defend them. That's how you do it. But the, the other thing about it is that do it a lot. Yeah. Because the more you do it, the easier it gets, and then you'll be able to write the book. Um, you know, yeah. I, I I have this burning desire to 
say what's on my mind. (laughs) And I don't have that little voice telling me, you know, your opinion is not good. I, you know, I, I don't, maybe that's like, maybe there's a little bit of like a male female dynamic in that. I know that there's a thing called the op-ed project, which was to get women to write more op-eds and to feel confident in that. So I didn't have that. Um, and I've been writing op-eds for a long time. I just never had a book in me until now. Wow. That's awesome. um, Okay. Before we go, I want to ask two questions. Any good movies, TV shows? What do you recommend? What are you watching right now? Uh, I just finished not too long ago Tehran, which is that oh. show Saad in e- operating in Iran. That was really good. I love that stuff. Oh, so, um I was doing. I I like that. Um, you know, I'm I become like crazy obsessed with podcasts. I listened to your podcast on my flight home from Israel on Wednesday <laughs> night, and the the um, the foreskin edition. <laughs> Um, and, uh, it was awesome because, um, I know your father and your father was, uh, and so I know his voice Yes. and, um, and I had his voice in my head when I was when you were telling that story and, um, it sort of brought it all to life for me, yeah. you know, J- uh, just to be clear the story and not the foreskins, but, um, <laughs> you know, um, but it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, I, I love podcasts and I know you listen to some of the probably, yeah, what are you, which ones do you like? What's your top few that you don't miss? Uh, um, I listen to, um, I, I listen to the fifth column, yeah. not all the time. I listen to Sam Harris a lot, mm. especially when he gets in the culture wars. Yeah. I sometimes listen to Megan. I listen to Megan a good deal. Yeah. Um, I listen to blocked and reported. Mm. I, I don't know if you ever listened to them, Katie, Herzog yeah, Katie and, and Jesse single. Yeah. And I think they're really funny. And, yeah. um, um, I listen to Michael Shermer and I hope he, um, hope, um, I will be on, that podcast soon. Ooh, um, cool. he, he has my book and is interested. Oh, cool, um, cool. So those are some of the ones yeah. that um, I'm into. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm listening to probably too much culture war stuff now, <laughs> but, um, you know, but, uh, Oh, I love, uh, I think I was sort of on the opposite side of him. Um, I listened uh, to Jonah Goldberg, the um, the Remnant podcast. Oh, of course, yeah. He's a neocon, and I think I probably wasn't where he was politically, but now that you know that the right has gone crazy and he's distanced himself from that, and the left has gone crazy, and I've distanced myself from that, I find myself oftentimes in agreement. I think he's really smart and yeah. creative. Yeah, that is an interesting podcast, actually. Yeah, I don't know. Do you like history? Are you a history person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a good one? To yeah, recommend? I'm. I'm. A, I cannot stop listening to um, uh, dictators, the the real dictators. It's so good. They're like short, um, sort of historical looks at the all the di- different dictators, Stalin, um, I mean, the usual mm-hmm. Hitler, whatever. But some of them I knew nothing about, like mm-hmm. Idi Amin from Ethiopia. Right. I mean, from Uganda, oh, sorry, from yeah. Uganda, like super interesting. And it's like a four part series and they do Pol Pot. They do um, Genghis Khan. I don't know. Just I thought it was really I, I'm enjoying it. So, yeah, I would that try that one. Great. I'm going to try it out. David, best of luck with the book. Everybody should get Thank it you. and read it. Even if you don't agree, that's OK. It's good to read stuff that you don't agree with and uh, exactly. and at least it's- build a good argument against it if you have one. Right. It, it, the title might be provocative, but I think the contents are nuanced. That's yeah. My, yeah, I agree with that. I agree. It's called Woke Antisemitism and you can order it on Amazon um, and other 
booksellers, I'm sure. Are there other booksellers still around? I don't know. I only know Not, really. Not really. They're all gone. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on with us. I know we lost the L, but you know what? I don't like her opinions anyway, so I'm glad she right. wasn't. I, I'm glad I, I cut her out. I think I'm gonna. Maybe I sort of played that role a little bit of yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, I think I need to dump her from. Uh, she she's writing because we can't hear her, but she's writing. She was silenced, silenced. exactly. Right. We're silencing Israeli voices. That's what we're doing. Right. Anyway, David, thanks so so much, and good luck, and Shabbat Shalom, thanks. and Shabbat hopefully shalom. I'll see you out here in California soon. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Yeah.